welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. It is so good to be with you here in Inglewood on the third Sunday of Advent. It's actually really fun for me to be back to back from last week to this week, so hello. My name is Bobby, and I am one of the pastors on the team at Commons. Now, agree or disagree, Christmas is the most magical time of the year. Oh, agree. We have some agrees, some disagrees. There's room for both. I mean, we're getting so close to the day now, so maybe you're like, no, I'm not ready. Like, make it stop. Make it stop. And if that's you, I get you. I am not ready for Christmas either. I haven't sent a single Christmas package in the mail. It is really not good. But even so, could there still be a little magic for me and for you this Christmas? I hope so. Okay, we're gonna come back to the magic of Christmas in a moment, but first, let me say how glad I am to be a part of a community that goes for generosity at Christmas. And if you haven't done so yet, be sure to check out our Advent campaign at commons.church advent. Now, I don't know about you and how you go about deciding how much to give to others at this time of year, but honestly, for me, it's kind of a gut thing. Just as soon as I start thinking, yeah, like I want to give real money to that cause, a number kind of just appears in my mind. It's a little giving magic. And it's really nice to trust my gut to guide me in generosity. And there are a lot of needs in the city and in the world, and praying about it is one thing. But we become the answer to our prayers when we give. So whatever your participation, may you trust your own instinct for generosity at this time of year. Of course, we'd love it if you participate with our Advent campaign, but if you choose to give elsewhere, that's great. The more, the merrier. The world needs all the generosity that we can give. Now, we are trucking through our Advent series here at Commons in both of our parishes. And the series is called Advent Prayers. And we've structured sermons around five Latin prayers from the Christmas story. So they go like this. The Fiat Mihi the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Gloria in Excelsis, and the Nunc Dimittis. We're saving that bad boy for Christmas Eve. Now, those phrases are the prayers of Mary and Zechariah and angels and Simeon, all responding to these magical moments in the story of Jesus' arrival in our midst. Now, Eugene Peterson says prayer begins when God addresses us. So God addresses Mary and invites her to play this very weighty part. And God addresses Zechariah and opens up a future that old man did not see coming. And God addresses shepherds, just minding their own business, tending their flock at night. And God addresses Simeon when he sees the baby Jesus in the temple and knows that his work on earth is done. And every one of those prayers reveals something so special about our relationship with the divine. We get to talk back. 
Advent involves us in the same story year after year. And as we wait and as we wonder, we pray for this openness to the surprising ways that God still arrives in our world. So today we're gonna to talk about the angels Gloria in Excelsis prayer. Glory to God in the highest. And I am calling this sermon, A Little Magic Goes a Long Way. And we are gonna talk about plain Jane shepherds, magical moments, bright glory night sky, and empowerment as love. But before we dive into all of that, please join me in some stillness and some prayer. Our loving God, for the beauty of this season, we are glad for Christmas lights and fresh baking and warm beverages, for giving gifts and holiday greetings and family dinners. So many things that can bring us such joy. But there is also a shadow in the season. The cold, the isolation, the triggering sometimes of past traumas and loss and hurt, the addiction, the consumption, the anxiety that are here too. And we thank you, God, that you do not pull away from us in times of beauty and in times of struggle. Jesus, we await your arrival. And will you deepen in us a compassion for ourselves and for one another. Spirit, you are here. You enliven us and you sustain us, for which we give thanks. Amen. Okay, Christmas. Now, I did not grow up with typical Christmas movies. I know of the classics, but I don't really know the classics. References to It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street are totally lost on me. I just haven't seen them. In my house growing up, our classics were more made for TV rather than cinematic masterpieces. So my family loved the 1986 movie Smoky Mountain Christmas starring Dolly Parton. And my sister could never get enough Lethal Weapon and we watched and watched 1987's Christmas Comes to Willow Creek, starring the guys from Dukes of Hazard, which I have to say, I do not, I repeat, I do not recommend. But of course, at Christmas time, we are nostalgic. And we think of the things that we loved as kids, and whether I'm proud of it or not, I am not. I loved all of these movies. Now, I had to do some digging to remember what exactly happens in Christmas Comes to Willow Creek, and I discovered that the scene I still think about is as weird as I remember it, but it's also kind of magical, too. Quick synopsis. Two brothers, both truck drivers, don't get along, but they are forced to drive one rig from Alaska, or from 
California, that's right, up to Alaska to bring Christmas to the town of Willow Creek. Now, the reason their mission must succeed is that the town is very depressed. Industry is gone and families can't afford the kind of Christmas that they want for their kids. So the brothers drive and drive and along the way, they pick up an ex-wife, as you do, and she is very pregnant with the rebel brother's baby. Already, I feel like I've been kind of talking about this a little too long, but stay with me. So here's where things get kind of weird. There's a snowstorm, a tru the truck hits a snowbank, the engine dies, and the baby, of course, right? It's on the way. But then there's this knock, knock, knock on the cab window, and what do you know? There stands a shepherd who says, Buenos noches, my name is Domingo, I am a shepherd, you need a midwife, come with me. So they go to the shepherd's hut, the baby is safely delivered, and the next day when they are back in the truck and rescued by the people of Willow Creek, the brothers look around and discover a strange sight. There is no shepherd, there are no sheep, there isn't even a hut or a dense forest to hide it. Weird. Christmas. Magic. And from there, all things are reconciled as they should be in every made-for-TV movie. But you know, whether I like it or not, the silly movie and the scene that we are in today do share some likeness. The main characters, whether shepherds or truck drivers, are in need of a little magic. Eventually, they encounter something divine and mysterious, and then the characters return to their ordinary lives, empowered to live like never before. So let's look at the story of these plain shepherds doing their job in the shadow of a very brutal empire. And heads up, in the story, Jesus has already bo been born, so like, that's past, even though we're still moving towards it. So picking up in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, why shepherds? Well, it turns out that even a shepherd is so much more than a shepherd. And the first clue goes all the way back to the oldest shepherds in Jewish stories, the original shepherds, Moses and David. And the biblical writers are always linking us back to draw us forward. So anyone listening to the story would think, okay, okay, shepherds were important to us in the past, so let's really tune in. But who were shepherds here in the first century? Well, a clue to shepherd identity comes from Josephus, the first century Roman Jewish historian. And Josephus writes about the social phenomenon of shepherds in Judea. And he tells us that shepherds were shunned by those of high status, but they were essential to the peasantry. And more, in desperate times, people often look to a handful of shepherds for leadership. And there's this one shepherd, Anthrongus, who, with his four brothers, leads a rebellion against one of Rome's Herods. Now, the rebel brothers, they are defeated. And there's this obvious desire for 
everyday people to rally behind a movement that pushes back against an abusive empire. But the most important thing about the shepherds isn't that they link back to David or that they represent this rebellious cause. The most important thing about the shepherds is that they really are just so plain Jane. Without names, without details, the shepherds stand in for ordinary people, basic brothers doing basic jobs. Another way to say it is that the shepherds stand in for the whole people. And still, when we take a close look at these roughneck characters, we see so much more. We see that even the ordinary is linked to this sacred past. And everyday people can have real power to do something about the present. People aren't plain. When you look at them, up close. Now, this Advent, I've been reading about addiction. Now, I'd love to say that this reading choice is on purpose, but I didn't actually have a well-crafted argument which states that addiction reveals the brutality and the waiting and longing in the Advent season. Actually, that is a pretty good argument. But what really happened is I'm reading about addiction during Advent because my hold on a library book finally came through. I mean, how many of you sometimes sit for months waiting for that hold from the library? Well, the book is Gabor Mate's In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction. And in it, Mate draws from his time as a physician working with people who struggle with addiction in the downtown east side of Vancouver. And I actually did some chaplaincy work in the downtown east side. So this book really came alive for me. And in particular, Mate tells stories of people who struggle with illicit drugs. And there's this chapter called, You Wouldn't Believe My Life Story. And Mate helps us to see the humanity that is in each person he treats. But then Mate does something quite surprising. He opens up about his own addiction. And no, his addiction doesn't involve substances. His drug of choice is a music obsession where he spends thousands of dollars on classical music and hides the evidence of his compulsion from his family. And what's so remarkable about reading the stories Gabor Mate tells is that soon the reader can trace something of addiction in his or her own life. It might be big, and it might be really quite small, but it is no less an attempt to escape something painful that is deep inside all of us. And Mate calls the range of addiction a subtle and extensive continuum, and we are all on it somewhere. And sure, some people, they seem plain, like shepherds, and others seem kind of problematic, like addicts. But every one is extraordinary up close. We are this mix of survival instinct and coping mechanism. We are a dose of hard work and smartphone distraction. We are flesh and we are blood and we are spirit and we are story and still extraordinary up close. The shepherds, they're out there doing their job. Maybe they challenge power. Maybe they just take the night off. And wouldn't you know it? 
An angel shows up either way. The glory of God does not discriminate. It turns out that God can see that these plain Jane shepherds are extraordinary and God is always close enough to notice how remarkable we are. The question is, can we do the same for each other? Is there someone that you maybe need to take the time to really see this Christmas? Maybe someone in your family who honestly drives you pretty crazy. I mean, there's nothing quite like the holidays for someone to really get on your nerves, right? I mean, what would happen if you take time to understand this person's full and complicated story? Like, trace their struggle and their own resiliency, and consider their desires and their attempts to fight for what matters to them. Savor, even, their unique and quirky and sometimes drive you bananas self. The shepherds stand in for ordinary people. And in this story, ordinary people absolutely belong. Even with their smells and their struggles and their strangeness. And whether the shepherds know their unique part in the Christmas story or not, the angel has a message for ordinary people. And by choosing them, shepherds, just out in a field at night, the angel's message eventually reaches all of us. And that message is pretty magical. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So here we have this speaking part in the angel tableau. And there's always something about angel appearances that scare the crap out of people. But here, are there's, there, but here there are these real world reasons that the angel sightings are so incredibly scary to shepherds. In dictatorial regimes, it would be terrifying to have a powerful presence just show up unannounced after all. The way to get by if you are one of the many, many poor people in a ruthless empire is to just keep your head down and to do your job and to stay quiet. Now, the angel sighting is connected to the political power. These guys are so afraid of. The Roman historian Suetonius gives an account of the birth of Augustus, where Augustus's father dreams of this majestic figure that announces the birth of his son with a thunderbolt and a scepter in hand. And more, the angel's words here are shockingly similar to the words that are held up in ancient ruler ideology. So words like good news and savior and bringer of peace, those are political words and they would have been applied to Roman Emperor Augustus. All this to say, the angel announcement is not good news for shepherds. It actually sounds to them like an oppressor is drawing near. So yeah, the shepherds, they are freaked out, but then, these lofty titles 
And the signs from heaven, they take this turn towards the good with three titles for this newborn baby. The angel turns a scary story right around. Three names to calm fears and more, to bring joy. And the titles are Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And they're grouped together here and nowhere else in the scriptures do we find this grouping. So let's put it all together. First, Savior, born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David. So this king, like David, is a good king, a shepherd king, a king for the people. So where there was fear of power, the Savior brings peace by making himself actually so small. Second, Messiah. And the Greek word for Messiah is Christ, the anointed one, the one who will set the people free and longing for deliverance has always been at the heart of the Jewish people's hope, where there is this fear of abuse. The Messiah brings peace by trusting actually imperfect people. Now third, Lord, and here's where things get kind of fancy. The baby is not just a leader from a long line of leaders. In the past, yes, the people have been led by patriarchs and judges and kings, but this leader is the Lord, where there's this fear of being abandoned. The Lord brings peace by becoming what we are so that we can be close to who God is. So these names culminate in the strangest of signs, a baby found by shepherds not far from the field that they work in. And this baby, it's not on a throne. This baby isn't from a famous family. The baby is one of them, wrapped in cloth and in a manger. And the angel says, get ready to see what your humanity is all about because God has dropped in and no, this ruler is not like the ones you have known before. This ruler calls to you. And as you come close, you find that you are safe. And you can't help but see the truth of your very human needs. Now, we all have all kinds of needs. We have this need for sustenance, air, shelter, safety, sleep. We have this need for autonomy, choice, independence, power, spontaneity. And we have this need for connection, appreciation, companionship, sexual expression. And we get into all kinds of trouble when our needs aren't met. Not enough food, shelter, water, people get desperate. Not enough power or order or space, people get manipulative, not enough affection, friendship, touch. People get savage. The human experience is marked by need. And when our needs are not being met, life is so scary. But what about your need for transcendence? How often do you think about that? Are you aware of your need for beauty? your need for communion, your need for hope and inspiration and just like deep peace. Because those needs, they are very real 
too. Gabor Mate says the human, that we humans need art and beauty in our lives. In fact, that's what makes us human. And the good news is that I don't actually think it's possible to skip magical moments in life. Whoever you are, whatever you do, a transcendent, magical moment, it will find you, I know, because I've been testing this. I have been asking all kinds of people this question. What has been the most magical moment in your life? I just want to give you that question for a second. What has been the most magical moment in your life? Some of these magical moments that I've heard about include a summer camp memory, a glimpse of something just so stunning in nature, the birth of a baby, a first romantic connection, a sublime concert experience. All of these moments, they start so small, but then something like shifts. A curtain is pulled back and we behold something so pure and beautiful. We experience intense connection. We glimpse something of God. Magical moments, they open you up to the glory that is already around you like the moment that comes next for the shepherds. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. So what is the deal with great company of the heavenly host? I mean, who talks like this? The heavenly host is linked to the angel Gabriel from earlier in the Luke story. And Gabriel is actually a warrior angel of heaven. So to be surrounded by a great company signals a heavenly army, warrior upon warrior upon warrior of angelic beings just lighting up the night sky. Can you picture it? Maybe you can, but I kind of find it hard to picture, like kind of fanciful and cartoonish until I think about what it means in the story. The longing at the heart of this angels in the sky story is a longing for liberation. And I get that. There are all kinds of things that I want to be liberated from. Fear, worry, insecurity, unbelief, loneliness, hate. So if an angel warrior shows up and along with the warrior there is this sky full of warriors and that must mean that liberation has come, only here's the deal. To believe that these angels will fight for you is to also believe that they are here to fight for the one who hurts you. Any war of heaven is, of course, on your side. You're gods, after all. But so is the person who causes you real pain or just attacks you on Twitter. The angel army fights for them, too, for their liberation, for their faith and their freedom, for their healing from anything 
that causes them harm. I know it seems impossible, right? But so does peace on earth. Maybe it is otherworldly to expect love like that. Biblical scholar Luke Timothy Johnson calls the angel glory the transcendental dimension. And the Greek word for glory is doxa. And in the New Testament, glory is never out to get you. Glory is honor and splendor and praise. It's the unspoken manifestation of God, it's eminence. But here's the thing with glory. Glory involves you. When you experience divine glory, you experience the intensity of God's presence here on earth. Sure, sure, God, God is everywhere. But also sometimes God is especially near. At least that's what it feels like. I mean, do you ever get caught up in a moment that to anyone else would not mean much but to you? It means everything. Like a simple thing happens and your mind, you know, takes one of those like snapshots and you know inside of yourself, oh my gosh, this is so important to me. Or you live through an experience that completely changes your perception. And now you have this new purpose going forward. Or you see something that just stops you in your tracks and you take in that truth and it transforms you so deeply. You are still trying really hard to put it into words. It's so simple, just a moment. But to you, it means so much more. It's bright glory in the night sky. And whether you have a hundred magical moments like this or whether you have just one, glory goes with you. In fact, it is a tendency to change something inside of you, animating your flesh and bones, giving you just a speck of a moment of peace. And then, well, what do you know? It turns out that peace has legs. Peace starts to run and to speak and to share so that other people can know peace too. Peace is actually so generous and lovely like that. At least that's how the shepherds experience peace on earth. After the angels depart, the shepherds turn to one another and say, okay, let's go, let's see about this baby born in Bethlehem. So they hurry and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger, just like the angels said. Now, we don't know what the conversation was like around that manger. We don't know how it made everyone feel. We just know that the shepherds leave the manger and they cannot shut up about this baby. They tell everyone and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Luke 2, 18. The best a little magic can do is actually return you to your ordinary life, empowered to live it like never before. Poet and farmer Wendell Berry says, we can't care about things generically. We have to care about the planet's millions of human and natural neighborhoods, specifically. How else do we think we'll fix the mess that we are in? Only love can empower us like that. And love speaks first. Our prayer is our reply. 
Love has been born to us, heaven in human flesh, a little magic to go a long way. Think about it. Out of the planet's 4.54 billion years, the fact that you are here, that you are here in this moment with your flawed family and your imperfect friendships and your sometimes twisted heart. The fact that you are here in this moment is magic. It's wonder. It's delight. Christmas is a time to remember that this is not a made-for-TV movie. Sometimes it doesn't all wrap up. It's your very real life. And real life is pretty magical, too. So turn and see something glorious in each other's stories and know in an ordinary night, glory comes to you. And in longing for liberation from any force that oppresses, glory comes to you. And in wondering about what to do with being human and sometimes feeling so lost, glory comes to you. So love the people and love the pastures. Encounter the divine and then give what you can give away. That's what this baby came to show us about life. We don't need a lot of magic to make a go of it. The magic is, I think, already right here. Please join me in prayer. Loving God, sometimes our prayers do sound like glory to God on the highest. And other times our prayers, they're just more plain than that. They're prayers for help. They're prayers for peace. They're prayers without words. Jesus, as we wait for you to meet us, may we know that the waiting is for our good too. May it deepen in us such an unstoppable compassion. May it enlarge our patience for your care. So spirit of the living God, present with us now, enter the places of need in our lives and heal us of all that harms us. Amen. <laughs>